Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Summerall, the pastor of Cathedral of Praise. Every time I say that, I want to pinch myself a little bit. During these last few months, it has been such a privilege to watch our people. Such a privilege. Over 10,000 people have been born again. And we haven't been able to go out to the streets and to the highways and byways. But we've been going into the Zooms and the Vibers. And, and it's just really cool. Because you've not just been getting people saved in your community and in your connect group. Now, yes, we've had lots of our families born again, and we've seen the promise that we should be saved and our whole household fulfilled. And when this is over, we need to get all of them in church. But we've also been reaching out to our Kababayans all over the world. I mean, our, our, our singing groups have been singing to crusades in Australia and Norway and Canada and Africa and, you know, I watched you just decide, you know what, we're going to redeem the time because the days are evil. I'm so proud of you, COP. You just sit back and I always wanted to pastor a church of hungry people. The, the only thing I ever asked of God, I didn't want to be rich, I didn't want to be famous, but I said, Lord, would you send me to people that are hungry and that love the word? And 40 years ago, Jesus did that for Sister Bev and I. And I watch you, and I stand amazed at you. So COP, double salute, job well done. And we're not done yet, okay? We're not, we're not done yet. Even some of our exemplars are doing Zoom crusades to their friends. It's just, it's just beautiful. So COP, thank you. Father, we come to you this morning with hearts that are full, hearts that are so grateful for the harvest that has come in. Lord, the gospel has not been bound. What Satan meant for evil, you turned around and <laughs> you have trained us in all new ways and trained us in all new things. And Father, even our seniors are doing things they never thought that they'd be doing. Father, we are grateful. We're grateful for new opportunities. We're grateful for the ability to share the gospel. You gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We thank you, Father. Now, Lord, help us continue to be faithful. We thank you for the 10,000 souls that have been saved. And now, Lord, we ask, give us even more. Father, as our people have been faithful, give us more opportunities. Your word teaches us that the reward for a job well done is more work to do. Well, Father, we stand here at attention with hearts wide open, asking you for more to do asking you for new opportunities to reach our nation and to reach the world. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you as a church this morning. Give us new opportunities. Give us new things to do. Show us new ways to do them. Father, all we want to do is get people born again and share the good news of Jesus. We're grateful. We're grateful for all the miracles of healing that have taken place all during this season, Father. We couldn't lay hands on anybody, and it's been frustrating in the natural. But Lord, you can lay hands on them. And you have healed so many just sitting there in their homes. Father, we are grateful. This morning, right now, Lord, I come and humbly ask in Jesus' name. You said that whatever we would ask in his name, you would do it. I come and I humbly ask with a bowed heart, lay your hands on the sick right now this morning. Reach into that hospital room. Bring healing, Father, in Jesus' name. They're sitting there listening on that iPad all alone. 
Let healing flow into their bodies right now in Jesus' name. We thank you for the cancers that have been healed. (laughs) They were just benign, (laughs) and the doctors were all wrong, and they weren't big. They were just little tiny things. We thank you for the strokes that have been healed. And Lord, we thank you for how Gemma is coming back up. But Lord, we ask complete restoration. Just like with that young man, Lord, who can only see ministries walking, Jesus reached down and continued to touch her, restore her to original condition, bring perfect healing, Father, as your word says. Bring perfect healing. Oh, we thank you for it. For the eyesights of the seniors, Lord, for the kidneys that are out there. And Father, I pray for fear. There are so many of our seniors, Lord, they've heard so much on the news, and they've been so afraid. Father, let that fear be broken off of them in the name of Jesus. Faithful are you who have promised, and you promise that this thing shall come near their, not shall, shall not come near their dwelling. And you promise that you gave your angels charge concerning them. Guard them in all their way. I thank you that your shield, you are their shield and rear guard, that your love surrounds them like a cloud of glory that nothing can get through. Oh, I thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. I pray for the young men and young women who are going to work. Father, transportation is so hard. We understand. And some of them have been walking hours every day just to get to their work. Father, some of them spend more time walking than they spend time working. Father, I ask in Jesus' name, make a way where there is no way. Let this be the time, Father, when they're able to buy a car. Let this be a time when they're able to buy a motorcycle. Let this be the time, Father, that they have their own transportation and they're not dependent upon anybody any longer to get to work. I thank you for it, Father. Let them come across great deals. You said in your word, Lord, that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. And we see in your word that it transfers during these hard times. Father, let there be people who just can't make the payments anymore. Let them just buy these cars and buy these motorcycles at cheap prices, Father. I thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name. Father, in the name of Jesus, glorify yourself today, Lord, in all that we do and all that you give us the opportunity to do today. Bring glory to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open up our hearts now and spend some time in worship.
been faithful. Who would say, yes, I have seen the goodness of God in my life. Amen. And what do you want to say to the Lord? You want to say, Jesus, thanks a million. Let's sing it to him.
As you know, during this COVID-19 situation, our pastors have been working very hard seven days a week. They've been calling all of our members every three days. Now, we've been monitoring the situation so that we can know how to continue or how to modify all of that. And the Bible says we're to know the condition of the flock. So one of the things that we've just finished is we keep track of people going to work. So 51% of our members have now returned to work in their offices. 34% of our members are work from home. 13% of our members are still no work, no pay. And 1% of our members have been laid off. Uh, especially in districts 9 and 11, we've had some layoffs. So we want to pray right now for these members that have been laid off, that God will give them new jobs in Jesus' name. Father, we come to you. We ask in your mercy and in your grace. Lord, open new opportunities at even better situations. Father, open new opportunities for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, part of what we've been doing is monitoring this so we know how to continue with these twice-a-day meetings with you. We have greatly enjoyed them over, what, since March 15th, March, April, May. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> we've been doing this for a while, my friends, and love doing it. But we want to make sure that we modify as we need to modify. Now, part of that survey when we called around was you want us to continue to the devotions at 6 a.m., one of the things I'll announce tonight is as we get ready for, ready for the reopening, because they're hoping by June 15, they will reopen. So what we want to do is take some time to get us back into 1 Corinthians. So what I'm going to do in the evening service is starting next Monday night. We're going to take some of the sermons, just like say 10 of the sermons. Now we've already done, what, 34 sermons on 1 Corinthians and we're in chapter 7. We're going to take maybe 10 of those sermons and edit them, and then I'll sit down with you every night and introduce it, talk to you for a few minutes, make announcements, pray with you, and then we'll do that sermon. And that way, we're all back in the First Corinthians flow. We've got all that knowledge fresh in our minds. As we get back in services in just a few weeks, yes, at 50% capacity, but we'll be back in services. We will be right back and flowing into First Corinthians. I want the rest of this year just to be routine. As I shared with you when we began this lockdown, the rest of this year, there's really no guest speakers unless Brother John wants to come over, but he's family. He's not a guest, but we'll be doing no events. We'll be doing no guest speakers. We'll be doing none of that, just routine church for the rest of the year while everybody gets their lives back and moving together and classes back and all of those kind of things. Now, Saturday morning, tomorrow morning, I'll be preaching over at South Campus in the parking lot. Uh, did I say you can't get out of your car? Oh, did I remind you you're not allowed out of your car? No, you can't use the CR. You can't get out of the car. All right, I keep pushing that. Now, we still have a few slots available. Sunday morning is fully booked, but we still have a few slots available on Saturday morning. Uh, if you'll call your district pastor or call your campus pastor, they will reserve a slot for you. Um, and we'll start directly at 730. So you need to be there a little early. We'll have communion together, uh, we'll sing, we'll worship, you'll sit in your car and tune into a, we have a small FM transmitter. Now, we've been prepared for this for months, all right? For months, we've been prepared for this, but uh, we'll have a, we have a small FM transmitter that covers our parking lot very well, and you can tune in your radio and we'll have church. I'll preach on top of the, uh, the go truck, uh, I'll help receive the offering, I'll help pass out communion, because we can only have 10 workers out there. So we have to do things by the book, but 
The Las Vegas City Government Administrator has given us permission. A barangay captain has given us permission. But we have to do this by the book. Did I say you can't get out of your car? No CRs, okay? You'll have to use the CR at a via or one of the areas close by. All right. We've got a beautiful testimony for you now. Hello, COP. Uh, I am Cheryl from the main campus. And uh, as the enhanced community quarantine st started, our family income has been freezed and we're not able to do our daily routine at work. And I am fully aware that my work could not be possible to do it at home. But God has been faithful. Despite of the lockdown, I was able to close a deal from a client and my boss continued to give me my salary and the commission from that deal. So COP, whatever situation that we have now, we must not lose our hope. Because God is truly amazing and we held on to His promises in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. It says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Amen. You know what I forgot to tell you? I said all of that stuff about the go truck and the drive-in service because I'm wanting to make this point and I forgot to make the point I wanted to make. It's early. Be merciful to me. Even when we are back in services at 50% capacity or even if we're back in services at 100% capacity, We've got this thing set up with this big parking lot at South Campus. Thank God we've got this huge open parking lot at South Campus. And as long as our seniors are needing us to do this, I will be there every Saturday morning and I will preach a special service for the seniors. Now, later we can get out of cars and use the CRs and things, but, but for right now we can't. But for long term, if our seniors are feeling more comfortable, people who are having kidney issues or whatever, or lung issues, and they're more comfortable not being in the crowds yet. This is not about fear. This is about meeting people where they're at. And so I will be happy to be over there every Saturday morning and just we'll have, it won't quite be sunrise, but it'll be, you know, a little after sunrise service every Saturday morning about 7.30 just to make sure we take care of everybody. Amen? <coughs> Excuse me. All right. Let's get into the Word today. Acts chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. This is after the healing of the lame man at Gate Beautiful. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Now notice, the priests, this is the high priestly family. This is the captain of the temple guard. Uh, this is the guy that came out and arrested Jesus also from John 18, verse 12. So notice the people who are here. And the Sadducees, these are the people who do not believe in the resurrection. Okay. So notice the people who are there. The priests, which are basically Sadducees, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducee group. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. <laughs> now, please forgive me. I love that translation. They were greatly annoyed. You see, brothers and sisters, truth annoys people. If people are rejecting truth, when you teach it and people are believing it, it annoys people. Sometimes, you know, when you teach the baptism of the Holy Ghost and speak it in other tongues, people who have rejected the truth, they get annoyed. 
Sometimes when you teach about revival, people who have rejected a visitation of God get annoyed. When you teach salvation by grace, there are people who get annoyed. When you teach tithing, there are people who get annoyed. <laughs> and forgive me, sometimes shh, it's a little fun to annoy people. They were greatly annoyed because they were teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They arrested them. Now, had they done anything wrong? No. Had they broken any laws? No. They were doing what everybody had the right to do in the temple courts, that huge area on top of Temple Mount. They were not inside the temple. They were in temple courts. So had they done anything worthy of being arrested? No. They just had a crowd that had come around them, and they were teaching. Forgive me, which is what all the rabbis did in the temple courts. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. Now, understand, people in power don't have to live by the rules. Uh -huh. They were annoyed, so they arrested them. No law is broken, but people who have power, they don't have to live by the rules. And that's something you and I need to never forget. They arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So now we have 5,000 men. You add their families to that. We're probably looking at close to 20,000 people in the church at this time. Okay? We've gone from 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. Now, after this, there's 5,000 men. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. Now, all right, they bring all the scholars together. Because, you know what? This thing with Jesus hasn't ended. We thought we had ended this thing. So just like the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Capernaum to, to hear what Jesus was saying, now they gather together again. They've got a problem. With Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, who were of the high priestly family. Now, it's Caiaphas, Annas, Jonathan, and Alexander that kept swapping the high priestly office back and forth within the family with the Roman approval until finally, after the death of James, when the high priest assassinated James, then the Roman government took this away. This was a, this was a politically appointed office. This is not a spiritual thing. But here's this whole group together. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's Peter doing what Jesus said. Don't give thought to what you're going to say, but the Holy Spirit will give you the words. Then Peter filled with the Spirit, not filled with anger, not filled with anger for being unjustly arrested and imprisoned overnight. Then Peter filled with the Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well, by him. So Peter says, I'm not taking credit for anything. This is all by him. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which became the cornerstone. So notice, they were to be the builders of the things of God in the world. 
This, this was, was to have been their role. They were to be the builders of God's work in the world. And Jesus was the key, chief cornerstone. But they rejected not just Jesus, they rejected the will of God for their lives. They rejected the plan of God for their lives. You, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no one, no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Now, you know, in the world today, many preachers don't like to quote that verse because it sounds so exclusive. And it's almost like they're embarrassed by the claims of Christ. In this politically correct world where all roads lead to heaven and every man has a right to his own faith, it's almost as if people are ashamed of this verse. But my beloved, I'm sorry, straight talk. There is only one plan of salvation. It's always been that way. Jesus was the latter, remember? Jacob, he controls who goes in and out of heaven. Jesus is the way, not a way. He said, listen, there's no other name given to men whereby we must be saved. You know, folks, please, no disrespect for anybody, but you're not going to get to heaven believing in Muhammad or Confucius or Buddha or, or, or David Silverall. I mean, please. You're not going to get to heaven except by faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're embarrassed by the exclusivity of that, please forgive me. You need to check your heart because there is only one way to heaven, and that's Jesus. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, pretty obvious, all right? I mean, these, are, these guys aren't dressed like the elite of society. That's who the Sadducees were. They were dressed like fishermen. They perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. I mean, what do you say? I mean, here's a guy that every one of those men had seen at the Gate Beautiful every day for decades. They had never done a thing for the guy. And they're looking at a man that they have seen crippled decades every day of their life entering the temple. And now he's standing beside these simple men. Now, here's the truth I want you to get a hold of. Even in our own beloved land, people are beginning to priority, prioritize education over experience. I've watched it in Europe and watched the church die. I've watched it in America and Canada and watched the church die. Now, now you know me. I'm an educated man. And COP, we're educated people. See, it's, but it's, it's not that education is wrong. It's that Education is not what this is about. I've known preachers who have a PhD in demonology and cross-cultural communication or a PhD in theology proper and a second PhD in Greek languages. And you know what? They couldn't grow a church if you held a gun to their head and said you'd shoot them if they didn't. They're educated nothings. Now, now, straight talk. 
the world is not going to be changed by people who are, forgive me, failures. And so they go get an education because that's the only thing they can do. The world is going to be changed by men and women who have been with Jesus. Now, if you're, if pastor, you're listening to me this morning and your church is failing, you don't need another degree. You need some neology. Neology. What's, I know pneumatology. I know eschatology. I know soteriology. What is neology? Getting on your knees. If your church is failing, you don't need another degree. Goodness gracious. You need to be in the presence. You need to be with Jesus. See, it's not that education is wrong. It's just that this education is not what spiritual leadership is about. Spiritual leadership is about people who have been with Jesus. I looked at a young man one time, and he walked up, and he started talking to me. And after about 10 minutes of listening to this young man, I looked at him, and I said, young man, you sound like a theology book, and you will never grow a church. And he got very upset and walked away. A couple of weeks later, he came up to me. Pastor Summerall, what did you mean? I said, you sound like a theology book. I said, you can't grow a church sounding like a theology book. You can grow a church sounding like Jesus. Ah, now I'm preaching this morning. But this is, this is some of these, this is some of this foundation stuff where churches are going wrong because they're looking for doctorate degrees and they're not looking for men who have degrees in neology. They perceived that they were uneducated common men and were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's what people need to see in your life. Here's a man who's been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them. Hey, this happened through them, not through us. And is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. Everybody knows this guy. We, we can't deny this. There's no, there's no spinning this. Can't spin this. The guy's standing right there and everybody knows him. But in order that it may not spread further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. Notice there's experience there. Did you hear that? Pastor, Christian worker, did you hear that? Not what you have learned from a book, what you have seen and heard. Not what you have read in a theology book, what you have seen and heard. That's when people know you've been with Jesus. When they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them, because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Now, notice just a couple of things here. These people who were afraid, these leaders who were afraid of the people, 
A few weeks later, after Jesus' death, they're still afraid of the people. <laughs> they haven't changed a bit. But I like these guys because when they're told, don't speak or teach anymore in the name of Jesus, they didn't stop. Do you know how common it is today for people to be asked to go to an ecumenical prayer meeting and told, you can pray, but don't mention the name of Jesus? We want you to pray, but don't mention the name of Jesus. We don't want to be offensive. Just pray to God. Well, Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, we must never be ashamed of the name of Jesus. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. Is our
You caught me. I was looking up another verse. Second Kings today. Live is fun, trying to do too many things at once, but there's some beautiful things back here that I want you to really get a hold of today because there, there's some... The passage we're about to start on is one of those passages that I really don't like because it's full of bad news. Now, I don't like it not because it's not truth, but because there are things there that you see that, that really hurt to look at. Things, things that you look at and you go, what could have been if they had done it right? So let me walk you through this today. First Kings chapter 12, Rehoboam went to Shechem for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. Now notice, make him king, not prince, king. As soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard about it, for he was still in Egypt. Now, here's this Pharaoh again. I mean, he's supposed to be Solomon's father-in-law, and he's playing all sides against each other. You got to be careful with people like that, all right? You got to be careful with somebody who is as comfortable with you as he is with the people who want to destroy you. You, you got to be careful with people like that. For he had fled from King Solomon. Then Jeroboam returned from Egypt, and they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam. Now, there's another thing I want you to see here. Jeroboam is an enemy of King Solomon and an enemy now of Rehoboam. I want you to notice in times of transition, old enemies resurface. In times of transition, old enemies resurface. Now, some of you businessmen, you're in a time of transition right now as you begin to move back in and you make a lot of changes. This is when old enemies resurface. Your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. And he said to them, go away for three days and then come again to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon, his father, while he was still yet alive. Now, notice, these are the men who advised the wisest man that ever lived. I think I'd listen to them saying, how do you advise me to answer this people? Now, now listen to this incredible advice from these wise men who had counseled Solomon. And they said to him, if you will be a servant to these people today and serve them and speak good words to them when they answer them, when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. Now, notice the truth. Service begets service. Now, the verse that I was just looking up there was some of Jesus' teaching, but I won't, I won't add it in because I couldn't get the verse reference for you. I want you to notice that service begets service. Now, a couple of things to apply here. Many, many, many years ago, when we were still in Robinson's, the head of an international missions agency came, and um, they looked at me, and they, were, they, they kept telling me, because I was just a kid, they said, why do all these people follow you? And I was young and ignorant. I said, because I love them, because that's all I knew to answer. I didn't understand what I understand now from this passage. What I should have answered them is because I serve them. Why did all those people follow this 23-year-old kid who never pastored a church before? I'd been a youth pastor, but that was it. I'd only been saved like five years. Okay, I mean, my goodness, why did they follow me? But you know, when I read this passage, I understand. 
Because when Sister Bev and I first became your pastors, we mopped the floors. We, we, we buffed the floors. You old timers remember. I would go down early on Sunday morning in rainy season and scoop the water out and dry the floor in the main auditorium because the auditorium was lower than the street and the auditorium would flood. I'd, mop the, I'd scoop the water out and mop the floor and then start preaching the services. Christmas Eve, I'd, I'd be underneath the, the old ugly green bus fixing the hydraulics on the brakes and things, covered in grease on Christmas Eve. Why did the people follow Sister Bev and I? Because we served them. Now, I keep trying to teach pastors that serving people does not diminish you. Jesus teaches us that, that the leadership of this world lords it over people. That was the verse I was looking for. So you can look it up today. But as servant leaders, we don't lord it over people. We serve people. Now, people are always asking me, Pastor Summer, what do you think of the G12-style churches? I don't think much. I don't agree with this network marketing structure where you have your 12, and then those 12 have their 12, and then those 12 have their 12, and the pastor is totally disconnected from serving the people. The, down here, you never even know who the pastor is hardly. You, you see him from a distance. That's not church. The style of leadership in the church is not corporate, it's not marketing, it's not military, it's not business. The style of leadership in the church is family. And all the children have a right to be around the spiritual father. And the father serves the family. The father works his butt off taking care of the family. Now, this is Christian leadership. So, you know, if you're a young pastor listening to me today, you know what? You can grow a crowd real quick with network marketing, but you're exploiting people. You're, you're looking for people of influence to exploit. And when you find a person of great influence, you add them to your 12 so that you have the most influential people under you. It's all about exploitation and using. When, listen to these very wise men, if you will serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. Oh my goodness, brothers and sisters, this, this is good leadership. But he abandoned the counsel of the old man, gave, the old man gave him, and took counsel with the young. Big mistake. Men who had grown up with him and stood before him. Young people, please hear me. Please, young people, hear me. And I'm not saying this because I've got gray beard and I'm getting older now. This is how I lived as a young man. I lived, I was raised to respect my elders. In fact, that was a phrase that you heard a lot when I was young. Respect your elders. Okay? I was raised to listen to wisdom of the, old, of the previous generation, not listen to my peers. Now, it's getting hard now because a lot of the people ahead of me are dead. But, you know, I listen to people like Brother John. Listen to people like Dr. Cho. Because these people have gone before us. They've learned lessons. Young people, you ask somebody of your own peers what to do. They, have, they don't know any more than you do. Forgive me. Experience is a painful teacher. And you don't need that pain if you will just listen to the people who have gone before you, who have already learned the lessons in pain, and if you listen to them, they'll spare you the pain. 
You've often heard me say you can learn things by, by listening or by pain. He said to them, what do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, lighten the load that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said, thus you shall speak to this people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you lightened it for us. Thus you shall say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's thigh. Now whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Typical young men trying to prove themselves. Prove how strong they are. Excuse me. Leadership is not about proving your authority and proving how strong you are. Leadership is about serving people. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king said, come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people harshly, forsaking the counsel that the old men had given him. He spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord, that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord had spoken by Ahijah, the Shilonite, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Now, when the king, when all of Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, now, you know, sometimes leaders, you need to listen to people. But the king did not listen to them. The people answered the king, What portion do we have here in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Now remember, these ten tribes were the same ones that pulled off and followed Saul, the son of Saul, Ishbosheth and Joab. Remember? Judah and Benjamin came in with David, but these other ten tribes, they were the ones that followed Saul. So again, notice, old divisions return. Old divisions return. So Israel went to their tents, but Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. Then Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was taskmaster over forced labor, and all Israel stoned him to death with stones. And King Rehoboam returned to mount his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel had been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. And when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to assembly and made him king over all Israel. And there was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. When Rehoboam returned to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. 180,000 chosen warriors. Now that is a formidable force. And he has all the wealth and all the weaponry that Solomon had. This could have been really bloody. To fight against the house of Israel, to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, the man of God. Say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin. Now he said, don't just say this to the king, say this to the people too. Thus says the Lord, you shall not go out and fight against your relatives, the people of Israel. Every man return to his home, for this thing is from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord and went home again, according to the word of the Lord. Now we get into some really sad stuff. Verse 25. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. 
And he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, because remember, under the law of Moses, they were to go up three times a year. Then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord. Wow. I don't want them, their heart to turn to God. And to Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. Now let me read you through this passage that I want to teach you for a minute. He made two calves of gold and said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, which brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he sent one in Bethel and the other in Dan. We've been to that one in Dan. When you go with us to Israel to tell Dan, you see, you actually see the, the stone altar that this golden calf was placed on. This thing became a sin for the people, as far as Dan to be before one. He also made temples on the high places, and he appointed priests from among all the people, not the Levites, all the people who were not of the Levites. And Jeroboam appointed a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month, like the feast in Judah, like the feast in Judah. And he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he had made. Then he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he had made. And he went up to the altar that day he had made in Bethel on the 15th day of the eighth month, in the month that he had devised in his own heart. So he created his own new feast day. And he instituted a feast for the people of Israel and went up to the altar to make offerings. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things. First of all, I want you to notice what I call the cult of the golden calf. It begins with Aaron. He makes the golden calf and said, Behold the God that has brought you out of the land of Egypt. But then the golden calf is ground up. People drink it in their water. It's defecated out into the stands of the wilderness unclean. But the seed of a demon god the seed of idolatry has been sowed. Now, I want you to notice again, in chapter 10, verse 19 of 1 Kings, when Solomon builds his throne, on the back of his throne is the face of a calf. Wow. Yeah, Solomon, Solomon's getting into some pretty bad territory, all right? And now here, Jeroboam, doesn't just have one idol, he has two idols. So when idolatry returns, it comes back twice as strong. But I also want you to notice in chapter 12, verse 25 to 31, what I call the doctrines of convenient religion. Their purpose is to turn you from God. The purpose of convenient religion is to turn you from God. Well, you know, just stay home. No. That'll turn you from God. God says to gather together. Purpose of convenient religion, making it as convenient for the people as possible, is to turn you from God. Every time you talk about worship in the Bible, there has to be some sacrifice. It's not convenient. Verses 29, 28 to 30, make it convenient. Let's build lots of temples, and let's have a golden calf in these two very different places so it's easy for people in both areas to come. 
Let's have a lot of man-called leaders that have nothing to do with the calling of God in their life. From among the people, Kaya, everybody feels apart. Everybody's a pastor. Start competing events. These are the things that are supposed to be celebrated, so you start a competing event. Make some special events that others don't already have, verse 33. I mean, this, this, these are the doctrines of convenient religion. And you have to learn, that's what takes people's hearts from the Lord, not brings them to the Lord. Now, no sermonizing. Verse th chapter 13, verse 1. And behold, a man of God came out from Judah by the word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings, and the man cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign that same day, saying, This is the sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down, and the ashes on it shall be poured out. When the king heard the saying of the man of God, he cried against the altar at Bethel. Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Seize him! And his hand, which he stretched out against him, dried up so he could not draw it back to himself. The altar also was torn down, and the ashes poured out on the ground, according to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king said to the man of God, Entreat now the favor of the Lord, and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. Uh, Jeroboam knew the reality of God. And the man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him, and it became as it was once before. And the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. And the man of God said to the king, If you give me half your house, I will not go in with you, and I will not eat bread or drink water in this place. For it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way you came. And he went another way and did not return by the way he had come to Bethel. Now an old prophet lived in Bethel. Now, isn't it amazing? God didn't use this old prophet. God sent this young guy in. And an old prophet lived in Bethel. And his sons came and told him all that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. And they also told to their father the words that he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, which way did he go? And his son showed him the way the man of God who had come from Judah had gone. And he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he mounted on it, and he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? He said, I am. Then he said, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with you or go in with you, neither will I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. For it was said to me, by the word of the Lord, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water here, nor return by the way you came. And he said, I am also a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, bring him back with you into your house that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. But he lied to him. But he lied to him. Now, I want you young pastors and young leaders, I want you to understand the most dangerous preacher in your life is an old man of God that God is not using anymore because they know exactly how to talk to deceive you. Now, you see, how do I say this politely? People aren't afraid of old preachers because they look so sweet and gentle. They look like Lolo, okay? 
and they look so sweet. Oh, we respect our father. But you know, <laughs> ooh, this is going to sound ugly. But when you're almost their same age and you knew them when they've had four wives and they've committed adultery how many times and they destroyed how many churches and you know this and then you see them in their old age deceiving just because they want something and lying and you know them you say pastor god forgives everybody yeah but people have to repent but people are not afraid of these weak old men that god used to use before they fell there was something in their life and God stopped using them. They know how to lie to the new young generation that comes along. And they deceive them because the young guys look at them and they want to show respect to the ones that have come before them. But you know what? There's some of those guys with white hair you just don't show respect to. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. And as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet who brought him back. Wow. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the command that the Lord your God commanded you, but you have come back and eaten bread and drunk water in this place of which he said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. You'll never get back to Judah. Now, isn't that amazing? The old prophet gets used by God again to rebuke the young guy that he just lied to. There are some conundrums in Scripture that are too much to understand. And after he'd eaten bread and drunk, he saddled the donkey for the prophet whom he had brought him back. And he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown in the ground, and the donkey stood beside it. The lion also stood beside the body. And behold, the men passed by and saw the body thrown in the road, and the lion standing by the body. And they came and told it in the city where the old prophet lived. When the old prophet who had brought him back from the way heard it, he said, it is the man of God who disobeyed the word of the Lord. Now, you jerk. It's the man of God who disobeyed the word of the Lord. Excuse me. He disobeyed the word of the Lord because you lied to him. Yes, sometimes you just, you shake your head at things, you know. This is why I say I don't like this passage, okay. And the Lord had given him disobeying the word of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord has given him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him, according to the word the Lord spoke to him. And he said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. And they saddled it. And he went out and found his body thrown to the ground, and the donkey and the lion standing beside the body. The lion had not eaten the body, nor torn the donkey. That's amazing in itself. And the prophet took up the body of the man of God and laid it on the donkey and brought it back to the city to mourn and bury him. And the body, and he, and he laid the body in his own grave. And they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. And after he had buried him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave in which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying that he called out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places that are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. After this thing, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but made priests for the high places again from among all the people. He, he just made it stronger. He went and got more man-made preachers. He went and got more self-called preachers. He saw all these miracles, including what happens to the disobedient. And he still didn't repent. 
anyone who anyone who would he ordained so anybody want a job i'll make you a preacher anyone who would he ordained to be priest at the high places doesn't have to be calling anyone who wants to and this thing became a sin in the house of jeroboam so as to cut it off and destroy it from the face of the earth i think we went yeah we went just a few minutes longer but i read quickly there at the end you need to go back and spend some time with this today be careful who you listen to in life because even when you're lied to you're still responsible we'll see you tonight seven o'clock